tell me the story of Jesus. And I hope uh, your desire is to tell others that story. Uh, tell what Jesus Christ did for you and, and for me. And, uh, man, what a blessing it was being able to be out in California preaching a missions conference, which is what that song is all about, telling the story of Jesus. And uh, appreciate all those who have been praying for my wife and I while we were there and uh, safety there and then traveling back. And uh, the Lord just really blessed through the conference. It's great. Uh, I told the church there, I said, it's really great to be a part of their missions conference because it's just getting me that more excited for our missions conference coming up next month. And I said, this is the, this is the best of two worlds. I get this missions conference and another one next month. And so uh, you can't beat that. And so just really looking forward to our missions conference coming up next month. I hope that you're praying about that and uh, praying what the Lord would have us to give as a church and uh, just being faithful in that and telling others about the Lord. Uh, but it's great to be back. Uh, again, appreciate all the prayers. Uh, but Dad, go ahead and come. I know you're going through the book of Joel. I was really shocked last week as I was watching. Um, I know they were having the kids thing, and he ended early. I could. I, I thought he would go to like the last minute push of the time a little bit. You know, I, I was very proud of you, Dad. That was the night's not over. Last week I was proud of you. <laughs> Amen. And I didn't sing a solo tonight either. I made sure I was turned off, stuck it in my pocket. Amen. Turn your Bible to the book of Joel. Going to have fun tonight. (laughs) We're actually going to get into just a little bit of the book of Joel. We don't start verse by verse. Uh, the other week I talked about the title being observations, and then last week was more observations, and the title this week is the final observations. There's no more. <laughs> there is, but we won't cover them all. I want you to learn, learn something about the Lord tonight. Learn something about God. And as you read these things, and I hope you've been reading them day by day, every week, every week. I try to go back and read it every day, the whole book, to where it it really starts becoming a part of your life. And you begin to see things that maybe you hadn't seen before. And that's what we're going to see, some observations tonight. So, uh, as we get into this, let's pray. Father, Lord, use these scriptures in our hearts to make us more like Thee. Lord, help me tonight to bring out the truths that you want to be shown. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and the honor for everything that's done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look in verse chapter 1 and verse number 6. Chapter 1, verse number 6. For a nation has come up upon what? My land. Oh, y'all are, y'all are quiet. My land. My Land, strong without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he had the cheek teeth of a great lion. Notice verse 7. He hath laid, what? My vine waste and barked, whose fig tree? My fig tree hath made clean bare, cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Go to chapter 2 and verse number 1. He said, blow ye the trumpet in Zion, stand or sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Go on down chapter 3. Well, we can stay in chapter 2. Go to verse number 20, 25. 
He says, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent unto you. In verse number 27, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Chapter 3, look at verse number 5, or verse number 2. He says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for what? My people and for my heritage, Israel. Look in verse 5. He says, because ye have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. Do you get the picture already? Nothing that you and I have belongs to us. You hear everybody saying, my body, my choice, not your body. Whether you're saved or lost, it doesn't belong to you. It's his by creation. He created it. He owns it. He is the sovereign God. And as you go all the way through here, it doesn't make any difference if it's chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3. Everything that he talks about here belongs to God. He mentions this 18 times. We just read a few. 18 times in here he says, that's mine. Even the armies that he sends, that's mine. Lost armies commanded by lost people like Putin and all those, that's mine. And he said, I sent it. So all of these things that we have are still his. Doesn't make any difference if your job or your family or your land or your house or your church or your talents or your abilities, or your 401ks, or whatever. Everything you have and I have is his. And why I bring this out is because so many times, when God says something once, that's enough. But 18 times he has reminded us through three chapters... I want you to know something. It's not yours. It's his. Not just the tithe. Yes, the tithe belongs to the Lord. But all 100% of what you have is his. It's not, I give God his, his 10%, the 90 is mine. No, no. He's reminding us over and over. It doesn't make any difference if it's the corn, if it's the land, if it's the heritage, if it's the people. It, it, no matter what it is, the gold, the silver, all the precious things, everything is mine. And so as we get in here, he's going to be reminding them as he will us that all these things that he has blessed us with. It's not ours to start with. It's his. Now, God blesses us. 
Nothing wrong with having things. But do I acknowledge his authority over me and those things? And he had to deal with Israel several different times about this very thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 16. It says, who fed thee? Well, that's a good way to start it out. God's reminding them, hey, uh, who gave you that food? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not? Watch why he did it. Why he blessed them. That he might humble thee and that he might prove thee. To do thee good at thy latter end. Three things. He says, I'm doing this to humble you. You think you are the cock of the walk. You think you have all the talent in the world. Boy, the company should be glad to have me. No, you should be glad to have breath to breathe. We should be able to thank God for the muscles that we have. The other day when I got sick, I mean, I was so dizzy, I couldn't hardly walk across the room. And God reminded me of what I'm preaching. Without God completely taking control of my life, I couldn't even walk across the room. I couldn't see. I couldn't speak. My heart would stop. My lungs would quit breathing. Everything that I have is his. And he wants it all. He says, I want to do thee good. But he says, I'm giving you all of this. What did he say? To prove thee. How are we doing with what he gave us? How are we doing with our, our, our finances? How are we doing with our home? How are we doing with our job that he gave us? Well, I'm afraid to witness they might fire me. Who gave you that job? He did. We have that responsibility to him. And God can give us another job just as good as he did that last one. Well, my family members, they'll think I'm nuts if I witness to them. They probably will. Mine did. But you know, in these latter years, they're coming back and asking questions. And God's finally softening their hearts. You don't do that by just staying quiet. God has to continue to use that you in that family for the influence that he needs to bring people to Jesus Christ. The reason he's doing is he says to do thee good at the la- thy latter end. He said, I'm wanting to bless you. I'm wanting to do something that you have no idea. I look back in my life and, and, and man... I, I didn't have enough. When I, I remember when before we went to Bible college, and, and honest to God, I, I, I sat there, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together, and it was her birthday. Makes you feel like a real sweet husband. And as we surrendered to God and said, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to serve you. And God sent us on a path that I had no idea was, was possible before me and I wouldn't trade it for anybody God has so blessed us it's absolutely amazing Deuteronomy 13 3 God allows false teachers 
He allows false leaders, things like that. But the question I want you to think about, do I believe what I believe or is it because the preacher believes this? Can I show somebody what I believe from the word of God or is it just, well, that's what they told me at church? You should have such a command of the scriptures that you can sit down and answer whatever questions that your children bring forth. Or your wife, husbands. Or your husband, wives. You need to know the book too. How else will you know what's true or false? You can't just call up the preacher. Yeah, he believes something and he preaches it and he he lives it. But if that's all you've got, you don't have much. Why are our teenagers when they reach 18 and they graduate from high school and that you don't see them again in the churches? Because they didn't believe what you believed. You didn't teach them. You told them. You, 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 you made them obey the rules, but they, they didn't believe it in their hearts. You have to lead and instruct in your homes and spend that time with your children, showing them, explaining, why am I going to whoop the fire out of you? And then explain it to them. This is what God says. And this is why this is wrong. And this is why you need to be punished. Now, there's a right way and wrong way to go about punishing people. I know that. But we're not getting into that tonight. Deuteronomy 13.3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of the, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you. When that guy's preaching, I don't care if it's Benny Hinn or, or Joel Osteen or the, a lot of these false prophets. You better be able to tell the difference. Otherwise, your kids are going to start following the wrong spiritual leaders. They're going to get online and they won't be able to discern what's right and wrong. And they're going to go the wrong direction. You have to be able to point out who's, who's a good preacher and who's not. Who's preaching the truth and who is not. And if you don't know the book, you can't guide them. He said, I have let these guys be here to prove you. To prove you. To know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, we say we love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul, but if we don't even read his book and study it, if we don't know this thing. Look, this is the greatest book in all the world. Would you agree? This, this gives us the answers to everything in this world. We was talking today, visiting a couple, and, and, and we said, the problem today is not politics. It is right here. The thing is, you've had some guys choose the devil's way, and you have some that have chosen God's way. But even Christians are, are, are too malignant dumb that they can't even figure out which way is right and which way is wrong. 
And that's why they'll vote for different people that, that, that have chosen the wrong way. It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And the only thing that's going to get these things solved is Christ. We have to understand and know what God says. And he says, I'm putting this stuff out here to prove you. To prove you. To see if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We say it. It's easy to say. But when it comes right down to it, I'm not willing to take my time and study this book. I'll just wait and let preacher tell me something in church. No, we need to get in the book and we need to study. I'm, I'm really surprised. I sat there when he has Sunday school. It irritates the fire out of me. Because I'm sitting there, I mean, I've been a professor, I've been a pastor, I've been a dad, all this, that, and the other, missionary, what, all that stuff. And I've got an answer, and I'd like to, but I don't answer, and I'm not going to. Why? Because you need to answer. You need to answer. I'm shocked that there are no more questions than there is. What does that tell me? We're not studying. Every time I go to the book, I find questions. I find questions that I have to, this morning devotions, I, after a couple of hours, I went back and I started studying out this and that and the other because there's questions there. If we don't have questions because we're not in the book. Now, he said, I'm doing this to prove you, Okay. God says, all of these things are, are mine. Your time, your job, your family, everything. So what we need to do is take what God has given us and absolutely make it profitable. Profitable unto God. Now, he goes on, we'll read this in, as we get to the verses. But God gave Judah corn. He gave him grain. He gave him wine and oil, silver, gold, pleasant things, and work, all this. All these things were gifts to God. They were gifts from God, but now, in order to show that they acknowledged his authority... They were to bring their tithes. They were to bring their free will offerings. They were to bring all of this back to the altar and say, God, I'm acknowledging that this come from you. Everything I've got come from you. Not just a tithe. But the free will offerings. The offerings they took for the building, just like in the Old Testament. All of this stuff. It all belongs to God. And that's why we need to be in prayer and say, God, what do you want me to give? And then it don't make any difference what the amount is. If you do what God says, you're right with God. If he says give a nickel, give a nickel. If he says give 5,000, give 5,000. Whatever it is, God knows. And he's proving us with things. Do we really love him like we say? Giving it back to him. His, he's the Lord of my life. 
The problem was, as you see here in chapter 2 and chapter 3, they gave the corn, they gave the wine, they gave the oil, they gave all this stuff to the gods of Baal. They didn't give it to God. God blessed them with it. But what they did is they used it on themselves and on the false gods. Self-pleasure. And God in this book is going to hold them accountable for what they did with the 100%. Not just part of it. But he's going to make them accountable for what it is. So what has God given us? Health, children, money, freedom, all these things. Everybody ought to vote. Why? God has given us the freedom in America to vote. And he's going to count us responsible whether we get involved or not. All of these things are spiritual issues, not not just secondary, physical, or governmental issues. They're spiritual issues. That's the first observation. Secondly, there's an interlude that comes in here as we see, and we'll go through that here in a little bit, uh, if I can keep running as fast as I can run. After Joel sets the stage in chapter 1 with locusts, and within this, this invasion, and we'll talk about that in detail when we get there. Uh, and then in chapter 2, he projects that removal of Judah as, as a people, another that nation. But then in chapter 2, in verse 28, to the end of chapter 2, actually that is chapter 3 in the Hebrew Bible, this portion. And that's where there's an interlude. After he gets done talking about the, the, the battle with, or the, the, the Babylonian takeover and everything, there's a, there's a beautiful little interlude in here. And it's like there's a breath of fresh air. And then he comes back in chapter 3 and says, that's it. What, he fi- what we find in chapter 3 the, the pouring out of the Spirit. This is what Paul, Peter refers to in the book of Acts, or Paul refers to in the book of Acts. The pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh. Peter preached the message and he says, This is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. And he quotes those scriptures, those verses there. And I'm going to show you how that breaks down a little bit later tonight. And that it comes in between the restoration of Judah. They've been taken out of their country. And they they repent and God brings them back into their country. Then you have this this interlude where God pours out his spirit upon, upon all men. And then you come and the next thing you see is the tribulation and the millennial. The battle of Armageddon. All of that in chapter 3. And it, and it comes just very rapidly. So understand as you're reading that those verses from chapter 2, verse 28, uh, to the end of that chapter, originally it was a separate chapter itself. Because it's like parentheses. You're saying something here, but then you put a thought in here, and then you finish your thought later on. 
The third observation that we see, there's a key phrase. It's easily overlooked, I think, by, by many people. But it clearly, I believe, is a key to the in, entire prophecy here. It is the little phrase, I will. I will. Uh, Thirteen times in eleven verses, he says, I will. It's only in chapter 2 and chapter 3 when he's talking about that, basically that destruction. He shows the sovereignty. He shows his omnipotence. That God is going. He makes the promises and he is and will fulfill this judgment, these promises that he's making through the prophet Joel. And we could go through a lot of these, but, but we're, we just don't have time. Now understand something. God does not need a lightning bolt to kill you. He can do it with a, with a mosquito. Or he can do it with a moth. And that's what he does. The very first chapter, he says, I'll destroy you with a, with a, a grasshopper. We look for the big and we miss the small. And so mark it down. God is going to do exactly what he says in the book of Joel. These things will come to pass. Now, number four. And that's the theme of the book. And this is where I want to spend a little bit of time here. The day of the Lord. That's the theme. The day of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. And, and, and it's, so, it's kind of confusing to many people because there's more than one day, day of the Lord. Now it's referring, and he talks about in his prophecy, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. We're going to look at a couple of these right here. Look at Joel chapter 1, verse 15. Joel chapter 1 and verse number 15. He said, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. He talks about this destruction. The day of the Lord. He's already shown them kind of a day of the Lord that has happened that they didn't even recognize as a day of the Lord. The locust invasion. But now he uses that and he says there's coming... What we call the day of the Lord here in verse number number 15. Look in chapter 2 and verse number 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand. Now, what does that tell me? He said it's nigh at hand. It teaches me, every time I go to the book of Joel, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm thinking about the book of Joel when, I, when I'm studying, when I, I'm thinking about the book of Joel when I'm taking a shower. The same thing keeps coming back to my mind. And that's the long-suffering of God. We think that we can do something and get away with it, and, and God doesn't punish us today. I mean, Jeff, we, we went out here, we did something crazy, okay? You and me. We went out here and we just tore up somebody's place. But nobody saw us. So we sneak away. And we go through. 
this week, nobody said anything. I think we got away with it. Next month, nobody said anything. Forty years from now, nobody knows. Do you realize what God was telling these people through the book of Joel? He promised, I will get you. And he waited 150 years. And the hammer fell. God is long-suffering. And just because Jeff and I didn't get in trouble that night, just because somebody didn't find out it the next week or the next month or years down the road, we think, hey, we got away with it. Oh, no. See, I've got children. And I've got grandchildren. And they will suffer the repercussion of my sins. They'll not just be judged for my sin, they'll be judged for theirs. But by my lifestyle and by what I have done, God says, I am patient, I am patient, I am patient, I am long-suffering, but there comes a time, and it's going to happen. That's what he said to Hezekiah. I'll not make these things come to pass in your day, but in your son's day. We, we can't live as if we're getting away with something. God is long-suffering. What a, what a wonderful thing. If he, if he, as soon as I got saved, I went out probably in sin. But yet, God didn't just squash me like a bug. He loved me. And he took care of me. And he helped me. Chapter 3, verse number 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord will roar out of Zion and he keeps going on. That's the theme of the entire book. Not just in the Old Testament, but in the New. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor word, or by word nor by letter from us. As that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of the Lord. He said it was near. And yet, in Paul's time, God was still long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away in a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are within shall be burned up. Over and over in the Old Testament, I think 30 different times, he mentions the day of the Lord in different contexts. God is serious about this thing. Now, I'm going to show you a kind of a presentation that, to help you understand prophecy and what's going on here. Can you put that first slide up, brother? We have something called, now when we're talking about the day of the Lord, we have something called a dual prophecy or a multiple prophecy or they call it a dual fulfillment 
prophecy and things. Now, as, as you, you hit that next one there, brother, this kind of gives you what the day of the Lord's talking about. The great day of judgment upon the ungodly powers. Jehovah, on the one hand, chastens his people for their sins, and on the other hand, destroys the enemy of his kingdom. That's what's going to happen. Now, next, next one, please, brother. You start out with a prophet. God comes to a prophet. It's amazing that this guy was nothing, but God chose him. You say, oh, I'm nothing. God can do some marvelous things through you. And don't be surprised if, if he doesn't. Because if God could take an old hog farmer and make him a preacher, he can make anybody a preacher. Amen. Now, go to the next one, brother. What Joel sees in chapter 1, he's looking back. That day of the Lord that was in the past, the, that locust invasion that was of God. God sent the locusts to, to eat everything, to destroy them. That's, he said, nothing like it's ever happened before. So, you have the past, but now... Do the next one, brother. Now he says, and in Joel's mind, this is all he's probably thinking. That there is the, the prophecy that God is going to send Babylon in to remove Judah from the land because of their sin, their wickedness. And that's about as far as Joel can see. That's all Joel probably understands as he's proclaiming this and writing it. And there's verses there that, that, that you can write down. Uh, the year there's 835 B.C. when Joel got the prophecy here. But yet in the future there in 586 B.C. is when Babylon finally came in uh, to take uh, Judah. But then you come to the next one. Now you have that interim period. You have that interlude where there's a freshness. There, there, he said, boy, this is, this is going to be good. This, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all men. And what it is, he had no idea that, that God was looking all the way down to the year in the future when on Pentecost when he poured out his spirit upon all men. You say, well, everybody didn't get the Spirit. Everybody can. The Holy Spirit's convicting everyone, and it, all they have to do is receive Christ as their Savior, and, and, and they get the Holy Spirit. He seals them. That's when the, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now the last one, brother, or the next one. The day of the Lord that he's prophesying in chapter 3 is about the tribulation and millennial period. You see that from chapter 2 and verse 30 all the way through the rest of chapter 3. He calls it the valley of decision, uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat where they will, will meet. Uh, that's the hope of their people that God will come in and, and destroy the enemy and give them back their land, set up his kingdom. And so... Joel, when he's seeing this, all he's seeing is that first peak. He doesn't see the other peaks. 
Now, Peter comes along in in, uh, Acts chapter 2, and he says this, what was happening on Pentecost, is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Okay? Now, go ahead and turn there. We don't have time to turn there. All right, we'll just go ahead and finish this out. In, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, read it tonight. He says, this is the prophecy. Now, do the there you go. All Peter was thinking, all he was seeing was what was right before him. And that's what he writes about there. And he says, this is... This is, this is this. This is the promise. This is the pouring out of the Spirit. And he can, he can see that right in front of his very eyes. He's experiencing it himself. But he doesn't finish part of that prophecy and explain in his message what's going to happen there. Why? Because all he was talking about was the first part. The pouring out of the Spirit. As a prophet, he did not see that other mountain on down there, the millennial tribulation. That's not what he was referring to. So when prophets spoke, they saw maybe one aspect, but God was giving prophecy through them on down the line that would come to pass. And that's why they call that the day of the Lord. That's why they call the Babylonian captivity the day of the Lord. That's why he refers back to the, to the locust uh, invasion. So get the context whenever you're reading these things so that you can, you can put it together and see just where the prophet was going, what God was trying to say through all of this. And you're not doing a disservice to that prophet at all. He had no idea. I mean, I dare say Paul did not know what a Sherman tank was. He didn't know what an RPG was. They knew what a horse was. They knew what armor was. And so he used what was in his mind. The same thing with John and the rest of them. So he sees those peaks, the first peak, but he misses the rest of them. But God had him write it down so we can see them. And we can study them out. So now as we start going through this next week... Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You're going to have a better understanding of what we're, what we're doing and why we're saying many of the things we're saying. All right? Now, just, just two questions. Are we being good stewards? Think of all that God's given you. Good husband, good wife, children, grandchildren, job, health, whatever. Are we being good stewards of what God has given us? He's gonna, we're going to give an account. Now, the second question, am I really ready to meet him tonight? Am I ready? Many times I think we say we're ready, but honestly, we're probably not. We need to get ready. Amen? Father, have your will, have your way in our hearts. Thank you for this study. I pray, God, that you'd continue to bless, that we would see your hand in all of this and how you work in our lives through the book of Joel and how you can draw us closer to you.
that you, we might see Christ in us. And the world might come to know Christ because we know the word of God and will live for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Pastor. Joel. Pastor Joel. <laughs> Somebody come take me. <laughs> Amen. Suffer prayer request tonight. We have uh, an unspoken for Steve and Marilyn.